You're listening to a resource from the Field Church in Mandeville, Louisiana. It is our joy to glorify God by treasuring Jesus in the preaching of his word. We pray this resource will be a tool used to aid in your relationship with Christ in addition to your local church. Amen. Good morning, everybody. So glad you're here this morning. Welcome, and let's say thank you to our guys for leading us in worship. Uh, Would you please open your Bible to Luke chapter 12, verses 1 through 3. Luke chapter 12, verses 1 through 3. That's where we're going to be today. Luke 12 will be in verses 1 through 3. And uh, before we read our passage... Let us recite our monthly memory verse, our verse for this month. I hope that you've been practicing. We're going to test you each as you walk out the door today, all right? Um, So here's your practice. Let's say it out loud together. You ready? All scripture, you can put it up, is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete equipped for every good work. Let's do it again. You ready? All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. Good job, everybody. So notice in this verse, before we take it away, notice how much of scripture is breathed out by God. All of it. That deals with a few things. It deals with the inerrancy of scripture. Every part of this canon, we call it, from cover to cover, is without error. And we must be a people here who believe with all of our might in the complete inerrancy uh, of scripture. It comes directly from God, that all of it will always be true. There is no error in it at all. This also means that we don't decide which parts of Scripture are true and which aren't. That would make us the source of truth, right, if we could determine that. And uh, we have something, though, that God has given us outside of ourselves, objectively, from God, which tells us what is true, namely, the Word of God. So, this verse, it also deals with a few other things. It deals with the inspiration of Scriptures. They are from God. It deals with the infallibility of Scriptures, of the Scriptures. They will hold true. It deals with the perspicuity of the scriptures. They are clear. It deals with the profitability of the scriptures. They are able to make you wise for salvation. They are able to make you godly. And they are are able to present every believer mature in Christ, which is God's aim for you until the day that you die. This verse deals with the sufficiency of scriptures. 
uh, of the scriptures, that they are enough for every generation. It, it deals with the eternality of scriptures. They will stand true forever. And it deals with the authority of scriptures. They are right. We submit ourselves to the scriptures under the wisdom and the truth therein. So therefore, we should resolve in light of this verse to know nothing more than our Bibles. Uh, there's nothing that you want to become an expert in more than in your Bible. That's what you want to become an expert in. We should be able to identify explicit verses and passages and contexts and meaning at will. You could, you could just point it out. You know, you, you, you got a, a, a catalog in your mind of where this is coming from. You should think of explicitly Bible uh, texts uh, interpreted with contextually accurate interpretation that is related to every situation in your life all the time. That's how we want to become. We're gaining from it an appropriate and accurate direction and insight from, for every circumstance. Right? Which requires us understanding the text better all the time. We should use its language. We should see God in it. We should savor it and be satisfied in it. The scriptures. This is our, this is our life. This guides our life. Now, let's move away from our memory verse. I'll leave you there. And let's move into our text for today. Luke chapter 12, verses 1 through 3. Let's read it. <coughs> In the meantime, when so many thousands of the people had gathered together that they were trampling one another, he began to say to his disciples first, Beware of the leaven of the Pharisees, which is hypocrisy. Nothing is covered up that will not be revealed or hidden that will not be known. Therefore, whatever you have said in the dark shall be heard in the light. And what, what, what you have whispered in private rooms shall be proclaimed from the housetops. Now, what we're seeing here in this passage, in this text, is Jesus training his disciples to beware of spiritual hypocrisy. That's the main point of this text. Jesus is teaching his disciples to beware of spiritual hypocrisy. Okay? So, to beware of it in their evangelism and in their spiritual leadership. That's what he's training them in. And to beware of it happening. Remember, Jesus is training his disciples here. Okay? So he's going to leave soon, and his disciples are going to carry on the mission, and they're going to share the gospel, and they're going to lead God's people. So what he's doing here is training them to beware of and to be aware of spiritual hypocrisy. Remember, this is what Jesus is doing. He is training his disciples. He's training them in all sorts of things, especially as they will evangelize the world when he leaves. They will spiritually lead and shepherd when he leaves. And so Jesus is training them. Now, let me just kind of uh, put a, a stake right there, and let's kind of figure out how we got here so we can recenter ourselves on where we are 
and Luke so we can position ourselves again within the time of training. Okay, So we're going to reposition ourselves in the time of training to understand why I'm saying he's training them to see and be aware of spiritual hypocrisy. And we'll get then into spiritual hypocrisy. So if you remember, the purpose of Luke's gospel, right, as we've seen it, in Jesus' life and ministry up to Luke chapter 9, verses 18 through 20, okay? The purpose of Luke's gospel up to Luke 9, 18 through 20 is the testimony after testimony giving evidence that Jesus is God's Christ. If you say, what's the purpose from chapter 9, 18 and before it? That Jesus is God's Christ. He's the anointed one. He's the fulfillment of all of the Old Testament prophecies. He's the Messiah. He's the Christ. Once again, that first section is capped off by Peter's definitive statement about who Jesus is. Look at this. Ready? This is where that first section is kind of capped off and ended. Luke 9, 18 through 20. <clears throat> now it happened that as he was praying alone, the disciples were with him. And he asked them, who do the crowds say that I am? And they answered, John the Baptist, but others say Elijah, and the one of the prophets of old is risen. Then he said to them, who do you say that I am? And Peter answered, the Christ of God. That's where this section ends. All right, it's been settled. He is, he's the Christ. I want to turn with you for just a second. If you can, in your Bibles, I'm just kind of doing this. Um, I feel just led to do it and show you. But turn in your Bibles to Acts chapter 9 really quickly. Acts chapter 9, verses, uh, verse 20. I was uh, 19 and, and through 22. I was reading last night. We got home from paintball after I got smoked in the thigh by a, a paintball. I was recovering, so I said I need to read my Bible. Um, <laughs> so I was, I was catching up on my um, Bible reading plan. I wanted to make sure I was, I was, uh, I was, I was doing the day's uh, Bible reading plan yesterday. I want to make sure I did it before the end of the day. And uh, I read this last night, and uh, I thought, man, we take for granted that that's all of Jesus is doing. The first nine chapters of Luke, he's showing himself to be the Christ. We want to look into other things, but that's the whole purpose. We might take that for granted, but that's what Paul did too. Look at this. I read this last night as I was thinking about this. Verse 19 through 22, Acts chapter 9. For some days, this is Saul, he was with the disciples at Damascus. And immediately, after he's converted, immediately, he proclaimed Jesus in the synagogues, saying, he is the Son of God. That's what he was trying to prove. And all who heard him were amazed and said, is not this the man who made uh, havoc in Jerusalem of those who called upon his name? And he has not come here for this purpose to bring them bound. Has he not come here for this purpose to bring them bound before the chief priests? But Saul increased all the more in strength, confounded the Jews who lived in Damascus by proving that Jesus was the Christ. This is the same ministry. So this is what Jesus is doing in, the Luke, in Luke 1 through 9, right? Proving he's the Christ. Now, at this point, it's been settled. Go back to Luke. At this point, it's been settled. From there, Jesus then corrects their understanding. This is the second section of Luke of what it means to be the Christ, right? 
And so what that means, he clarifies, as God's Christ, this will not mean immediate establishment of an earthly kingdom full of immediate victory and prosperity for Israel. What this will mean is, as God's Christ, is that he will have to suffer. He will have to be rejected. He will have to be killed. And he will have to be raised. That's what he says. To fulfill God's plan, which he foretold, for the establishment of God's blessing on his people, he must fulfill the law, become the sacrifice, and raise from the dead. Right? So at, and, and this is also what it means for Christ's followers. He clarifies that, too. That it's made clear. It will not mean earthly victory, rule, and prosperity, wealth, health, and everything else that comes along with it. It will mean death to self and faith in Christ until you die. That's what it will mean. This is all made clear in the kind of the capping of that section, Luke uh, chapter 9, verses 21 through 23. Here's what he says. He strictly charged them and commanded them, tell no one, saying, here's the purpose of what the Christ must do. The Son of Man must suffer many things, be rejected by the elders, the chief priests, the scribes, be killed, and be raised. And he said to all, if anyone would come after me, so not only am I going to suffer, if you're going to come after me, you're going to have to deny yourself, take up your cross daily, and follow me. This is who the Christ is, and this is what it means to follow the Christ. Third section of Luke. From there, the next important point in the timeline is uh, chapter 9, verse 51. As Jesus has now settled who he is, what it means, and who his followers must be, he then um, is roughly a half a year from his death, and with his disciples, he sets his face towards Jerusalem. And this four-day journey to Jerusalem from where they are takes months. And why does it take months? The journey takes months because it's a time of training his disciples who will spread the gospel and shepherd and teach when he leaves. So again, this journey to Jerusalem begins in chapter 9, verse 51. Here's what it says. When the days drew near for him to be taken up, he set his face to go to Jerusalem. Now finally... That journey will come to a close, and here's the last section. Uh, Luke chapter 19, verses 28 through 45. Um, I won't read them, but that's when Jesus enters into Jerusalem, right? The journey to Jerusalem is over. He's there. He's in Jerusalem. Triumphal entry, time of the Passover, but Jesus is actually weeping over the city, right? We interpret the triumphal entry wrongly. They're all shouting, Jesus is weeping. Because he knows, what does he know? That they are cheering for him as king, but because of their eventual unbelief, they will crucify him. So, this begins the short period of his betrayal, trial, crucifixion, resurrection at the end. So, the reason that I do all of this is to reposition us. We are in that third section, training. That's what he's doing here. Currently, he's training his disciples, right? I want you to do something. Take your Bible where you are, chapter 12, flip through 12 through 19 the time of training and, and really started in, in chapter 9 look at all the red letter right like look at all the red letters this is just full of red letters this is a time of training all till you get there he, he's just going to be teaching them the whole time so this is where we are now as I mentioned after we read our passage for today the brief recap repositioned us. What we are seeing in his text is Jesus training his disciples to beware of spiritual hypocrisy. Spiritual hypocrisy. Okay? So they must be aware of this. 
as they teach the gospel and as they shepherd God's people. He's telling them to be aware of spiritual hypocrisy. Beware of that, shepherds. Beware of that, followers. Beware of this, disciples. This is what he's training them in now. This is the doctrine that is being made known currently in these verses. Beware of this happening, of its spreading, of, of others uh, being this. Okay, now, remember, as we're doing this with the spiritual hypocrisy, he's training them to spot it, he's training them to identify it, he's training them to understand it, he's training them to call it out, to quickly disassociate themselves from those who practice it and to flee from it. He is saying, listen, this will happen. Spiritual hypocrisy will happen. You'll encounter it. Beware of it. Beware of it. And we, like the disciples, must beware of it. And the danger is twofold. I'll tell you this, and then I'll tell you what our points are going to be. First, the danger is for you as an individual. You must not become this. You must not be this. Because if you are a spiritual hypocrite, you will deceive yourself right into hell. And I'm going to show you why. Or if you know Christ, you will deceive yourself towards death and destruction. Second, we must be aware of this as a church, as leaders, as equippers, as evangelists, as teachers, as laborers, as disciple makers, as deacons, as ministers of the gospel, which everyone is. Because spiritual hypocrisy spreads and the sin and the culture of this will spread. And this will make, um, this will make us aware this reality of spiritual hypocrisy makes us aware that not all are truly sheep of the shepherd. They might act like it for a while. They might be a part of the large crowds. They may seem eager and excited, spiritual, religious, might look moral, but there might be something else going on. So we as a church must be aware of that. They are not maybe following because they're being fed by the shepherd or by the word of God, which is the feed. Right? True, she faithful shepherds are so relentless in feeding with the word of Christ that true sheep taste that and they follow that shepherd. Not because of any other thing except for the feeding. That's how you can discern. How can a pastor discern, okay, what's going on here? This person, these people here... How, what's the discernment? Well, even the non-believer and the believer, the one who is maybe even young in their faith or weak in their faith, etc., the difference is when someone keeps coming back because they're being fed the word of God versus coming for other purposes, right? Like, it's cool, I have to go to church, uh, whatever it may be, right? The true sheep are coming, even if they're not quite sheep yet, and they need to become sheep. They're coming because they're being fed. I need to be fed the truth. I want to be fed. I'm hungry, right? And so, so this, these true sheep come and they're because they're being fed the word of God. And, and so here, what we're going to see is some people who are not coming because of that, coming for other purposes, which helps us clarify our spiritual hypocrisy. This is dangerous. So he's saying, beware of common reality of false followers who may look good on the outside, but don't truly want the Savior on the inside. 
They desire and have the ability to fake it, but they're coming for the wrong reasons. This will spread. And many will look like they're following, but many will be false disciples. This is what we're going to see here, spiritual hypocrites. So this is a, a tough text. Many people probably would just avoid it. So here's what I want to do with this main point of spiritual hypocrisy. Okay, I want to ask four questions today. First of all, what is spiritual hypocrisy? That's the first thing we're going to ask. What is it? You might ask, what do you mean by spiritual hypocrisy? You've been kind of describing it so far, but not really giving me any clarity. Okay, purpose, on purpose, okay? What do you mean by spiritual hypocrisy? What is it, Pastor Sam? Secondly, I want to ask, why is Jesus so concerned with it? Why is Jesus so concerned? Why, why is it so bad? What's such a big deal about this? Why should we be concerned about this? Number three, I want to ask, where does it come from? And number four, I want to ask, where is it headed or where is it going? Where will this spiritual hypocrisy take you or take us? So what is spiritual hypocrisy? Why is Jesus concerned with it? Where does it come from? And where is it headed? Okay. And I think the text answers all of those questions. Okay. So that's what we're going to do. So number one, what is spiritual hypocrisy? What is spiritual hypocrisy? Okay, <coughs> verse 1. Let's read it. In the meantime, when so many thousands of the people had gathered together that they were trampling one another, he began to say to his disciples first, Beware of the leaven of the Pharisees, which is hypocrisy. Jesus has more in mind here when he uses the word hypocrisy than just saying one thing and doing another thing, right? He's got more in mind here than that. That's usually our definition. He's got something more in mind here. The answer to what Jesus means here, I think, is found and made clear in verse 39 of chapter 11. So look down at your text, verse 39 of chapter 11. And the Lord said to him, now the Pharisees cleanse the outside of the cup and of the dish, but inside you are full of greed and wickedness. So just go back these 15 verses in chapter 11 and it becomes very clear, right? This is what's clear. Let's just even read um, to verse 39. And I think it's on the screen here. Let's look at if you want to look at it on the screen or in your text. While Jesus was speaking, Pharisee asked him to dine with him, so he went in, reclined at the table. Pharisees were astonished to see that he did not first wash before. The Lord said to him, Now you Pharisees cleanse the outside of the cup of the dish, but inside you are full of greed and wickedness. So it becomes clear that the hypocrisy that Jesus is referring to means trying to clean the outside of your life while remaining dirty on the inside. That's the hypocrisy that Jesus is speaking of here. We've got our definition. It's trying to look clean on the outside. And you'll see that the emphasis is on looking clean, looking clean while remaining dirty on the inside. Listen, stay with me. It's neglecting, it's overlooking, it's excusing, it's conveniently forgetting. It's saying it maybe doesn't really matter. 
about what's going on on the inside because I look clean to everyone on the outside. That's the hypocrisy that he's saying. It's working hard, so hard, to clean the outside and to look like that. And at worst, in the case of the Pharisees who don't believe, it's actually blindness on the inside, failure to recognize that they're sinful at all on the inside, that they need a Savior. They see no need for Jesus on the inside because of the reality of their sinful condition that their sin must be paid for. They don't, even, they don't see that, which is why they see no need for Jesus. They are religious. But because of that, they are content or even proud of who they are. They don't see the reality. Here's the deal. Here's the issue. They don't see the reality of their sinful condition before God and their need for forgiveness through the work of God's Christ who pays for their sins. They don't see that. They haven't understood. They might be experts in the law, but they haven't understood Psalm 14. It says this. The Lord looks down from the heaven on the children of man to see if there are any who understand at all, who seek after God. They have all turned aside. Together they've become corrupt. There is no one who does good, not even one. And that, of course, is what Paul quotes in where? Romans 3, right? He says, remember in Romans 3, as it is written, no one understands. He's referring back to Psalm 14. They don't come to Christ because they don't see the reality of their sinfulness and their need to be saved. This is interesting because it's hindering them. The, the outside being clean is actually hindering them from seeing the inside. The contentedness with the outside being clean is actually hindering them from actually seeing the sinful condition on the inside and their need to be saved. So for the unbeliever and the believer, listen, being recognized as clean because you've spent so much effort looking clean on the outside and have succeeded in it, and you will succeed, but to your own demise, and you've succeeded in it, you can give false assurance to yourself of the cleanliness on the inside. You say, well, I'm recognized as clean. I had a great day at church and no one noticed that. So you walk away feeling more assured that you actually are clean. For these, for, for, for these the Pharisees, they, they didn't even believe. So they need to be, they need to understand that they're actually sinful to begin with. So for the believer, thereby causing you not to pursue any necessary repentance or hidden in hidden areas of your life, that need to be sanctified and haven't been for a while, and for the unbeliever causing you to think maybe that you even are a Christian because it's based upon not any truth but, the, but what others see you as, thinking that you don't need Christ because on the outside you've successfully looked clean. So it perpetuates the problem when you succeed at it and you don't actually ever come to realize your own truthful, true sinful condition. And for the believer, when we hide sin or we have sin in, in secret, then when you look clean on the outside, it actually tricks you into thinking that you don't need to repent on the inside. So to further support our definition of this, 
Remember the progression of a few weeks ago, okay? Let me just take you down this road for a minute. Jesus, starting in Luke eleven twenty nine, says, this generation is evil. That's when Taylor, uh, Josh, started this whole section. Eleven twenty nine. Why? Why were they evil? Because they sought further signs. They were indicting Jesus, basically, by saying he's not shown us enough evidence. Jesus says, by my grace, I'm going to give you one more sign. The most significant sign I can show you. What is it? To prove that I'm Christ, I will show you that I'm by resurrecting from the dead. The greatest sign that there could be, right? But here's the deal. At that sign, even though it's clearly displaying that I am God, the reality is you still won't believe, right? Because, and the queen of the south and the Ninevites, they're going to stand up and they're going to condemn you because at least they saw the truth and they repented, right? So Jesus goes on to the next section, I think, which was Pastor Taylor, and he says, the reason why you don't see the truth is not because I haven't shown you enough evidence. The light has been clearly displayed. It's because you're blind to it. You don't see that I'm God's Christ. If you did, you would be made, as Taylor repeated so well, holy bright, illuminated by the light, right? Then in the next section, Pastor Tanner last week gets more specific. The reason why you don't see, and here it is, Spiritual hypocrisy is because you are concerned with the outside and you fail to see the condition of the inside. If you were to clean the inside through the cleansing I provide, even the outside would eventually become clean. Everything on the outside, it will become clean for you. You got to become clean on the inside. And so what's preventing you from seeing the condition on the inside is that you're simply trying to have the clean outside. He says you tithe mint, you tithe rue, you sit in the best seat, you authoritatively command, you build tombs for the prophets. This is why you don't see. You're only concerned with cleaning the outside. Even worse, you're satisfied with the clean outside. So this is what Jesus means by spiritual hypocrisy. You think you're fine because you look good on the outside, and you're in trouble. That's what he's saying here. Now, I say spiritual hypocrisy because this is a spiritual issue, right? The hypocrisy deals with their spiritual state, spiritual state of blindness and their destiny. So notice what's happening here, which will further support Jesus's meaning. Okay, we're still in first question. I just want to show you a little bit more evidence to where we get this from, if you have eyes to see it. Verse 53 and 54 of chapter 11, read it. As he went away from there, the scribes and the Pharisees began to press him hard and to provoke him to speak about many things, lying in wait for him to catch him in something he might say. So, ready? Listen, the Pharisees, while looking good on the outside, are on the inside deceitfully trying to provoke him so that they can catch him in something that he might say. It's spiritual hypocrisy. Don't realize their sinful condition on the inside. No need to repent. I don't even see it. And I don't want to repent from it. But on the outside, we look good so we can have these de deceptive motives on the inside. Chapter 12, verse 1. Let's look at this. Read it. In the meantime, when so many thousands of the people had gathered together that, there were that they were trampling one another, he began to say to his disciples first, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees, which is hypocrisy. So in the meantime, while so many people are trying to catch him, 
That's what that means. In the meantime, they're trying to catch him. In the meantime, he's got something else going on. He, he, he's got an agenda here. Now, look at this. Many thousands of people, chapter 12, verse 1, we're just in the text now, stay in the text. In the meantime, while so many supporting spiritual hypocrisy, the definition of it, so many are trying to catch him, it says many thousands of people in the crowd were coming to see him. Many thousands. And instead of saying, yes, come on, we're doing it, disciples. We've got thousands. We're growing. We're growing. He pulled only his disciples aside first. And he said something to them. He said, beware of the leaven. Leaven is a substance that spreads around in dough, making it rise. So it's a spreading agent and a rising agent. Beware. He pulls them aside while the crowds are coming. Beware of what is spreading from the Pharisees, which is hypocrisy. Beware of what is spreading from the Pharisees, which is people wanting to look good on the outside, not realizing their desperate need for forgiveness and transformation on the inside. He's saying, they're clamoring to get to me because they have a taste. Their mouth is watering for looking good on the outside to everyone. So Jesus is saying to his disciples here, these aren't true disciples. These aren't true disciples. The crowds are clamoring. He pulls his disciples over. They're not, these aren't real disciples. He pulls his disciples aside and says, I know it looks like the crowds are wanting me. In your evangelism, in your le spiritual leadership, as I'm training you, don't be naively fooled by the crowds. They just want to look good on the outside. Don't take it at face value. Beware of this. Beware. He stopped the, the disciples dead in their tracks of the crowds coming to tell them this. Of what Jesus means by spiritual hypocrisy is even further confirmed because verse 2, read it, Jesus says this. Read it, verse 2. Nothing is covered up that will not be revealed or hidden that will not be known. Meaning the inside will eventually be exposed. Right? It's going to eventually be exposed to themselves, to others, and to God, and their eternity will follow suit. Whatever's going on on the inside. So, one more support. Let me take you back to chapter 11, verse 52. Read it. He says, Woe to you, lawyers, for you have taken away the key of knowledge. You did not enter yourselves, and you hindered those who were entering. So, by, listen, ready? By failing to realize the true condition of their heart, their need for forgiveness and salvation, because of their blinding concern to look good on the outside, they have also caused others to fail to recognize their own sinfulness. And not only have they caused others to fail to realize that they have also made people comfortable with looking good on the outside, looking clean on the outside. So others were watching them. Others were watching the Pharisees and the lawyers, the, the leaders of the law, the people who taught the law, 
and they were watching them, and they didn't learn about their own true spiritual condition because the teachers of the law failed to realize it themselves. This is the key to knowledge. The key to knowledge, you're a sinner and you need a Savior. And now they have caused others not to see it because they themselves haven't seen it, and they've been so content with cleaning the outside that the people who are watching their lives say, I guess that works around here. That looks like a thing I could be successful at. I'll jump on that bandwagon, and I'll just look good on the outside. And can I tell you, that's what happens in our churches right now. If you don't look clean on the, if, you, if you're not clean on the inside, but only on the outside, the people watching you, they're going to learn that. And they're going to say, hmm, I guess that's how this works around here. I could do that. And if they're accepted by God, then I'll, I'm pretty sure I'll be accepted by God if I just look clean on the outside. And so this is what's perpetuating here. So this is very important here. And the key of knowledge that's referred to in that verse 52 is, is this is requires this humility. Pride can't see your own sin because pride just thinks it knows better. There is no need for to, to be forgiven. But when you're crushed by the reality of your sinfulness, the destruction it causes, the punishment it deserves, and you realize that you're a sinner and with childlike humility believe and receive the Christ, you're forgiven. But pride can't see that because it's, it's blo- the pride is blocking what they need to see to be saved because they think they know better, and as long as they can look good on the outside, they're good. So not only did the lawyers not show them their true condition, but they fostered it in the people. So they say, that's what I'll go after. And this is terrible. Let me show you one more thing before our second point. This is terrible because look at verse 52 one more time. He said, you do not enter it yourselves, and you hindered those who were entering. There were people who were coming because they genuinely wanted to be fed the word. Give me the truth. I want to know if this is the Christ and if I need to be forgiven and what that means. They were entering, and they got thrown off course because of people who only cared about the outside. They got thrown off course, and they said, oh, that's, I guess that's all I need to do around here. Like, this is a person who comes to church, comes to community group, comes to hang out in a church group or gets involved in a church text. At first, they really genuinely want to know Christ. They want to make him Lord in a sincere way, and then they start to notice the subtleties of a few popular people in the culture who are recognized for being really clean on the outside. But it's evidenced by their lack of radical commitment that the cleanness of the outside is all that's there. They're not concerned about the inside, but they notice that this works. And it seemed to be good enough to look good on the outside. It's accepted. People think highly of them. So at first, their hunger and thirst for righteousness, they forego it because it's a difficult goal. And they settle in to just being recognized and clean on the outside. This is dangerous and eternally damning. This is why Jesus is taking this seriously, which leads us to our second point. We've seen what is spiritual hypocrisy and what does Jesus mean by it. Now we ask, why is Jesus concerned with it? Why is it so bad? So why should you be be so concerned with it? Our text, I think, points us to 
this, us to this question and makes it clear. Just a, a few points here. First, it spreads. Why should you be so concerned? It spreads. And I've, I've already really done a lot of the work to show you this. Verse 1, he calls hypocrisy leaven, right, that comes from the Pharisees. And oh, is this true of us? Listen, church, listen. This will spread. A culture that begins to develop the habit of only looking clean on the outside as a church, as a culture of Christians, it spreads. And that becomes the culture, to be satisfied and looking clean on the outside while neglecting to identify and address and declare the sin. Now, the sin or even your uh, first awareness of your sinful condition on the inside, the culture spreads. It's easy. It's rewarding. It gives me what I want naturally, which is to be liked, to look clean, to be recognized, to be praised, without having to get gritty with the truth of God in repentance and obedience and submission and sorrow for sin and humility and daily lowliness as I expose my sin and fight it. It will spread in a church, looking clean on the outside. It will spread in a culture. Verse 1, Jesus pulls the disciples aside because he's explaining to them the truth about the crowds. The hypocrisy has spread. When he says beware of the leaven of the Pharisees, listen, he's saying that the hypocrisy has spread from the Pharisees to the crowds. Now the crowds are like this. He's telling them, don't take the crowds at face value. They're gathering, but not because they're wanting to see me. So this hypocrisy is happening with the Pharisees who were looking clean but trying to catch him, as I pointed out in verse 53 and 54 of chapter 11. It's what's happening to the crowds who looked like they couldn't get enough of Jesus. Jesus freaks. Crowds are clamoring. They're stumbling <laughs> over each other. Not because they're sheep. In other words, this happens with the religious elite who want to look clean. And it happens for the common man who wants to look clean. A culture that's so focused on looking good on the outside that they never see or care about the true condition on the inside. And honestly, this is the plight of, of America and the American church. This is really happening. You know, like, let's just, as long as we look good on the outside, let's ignore or even then become um, ignorant to. They, they don't know. No one's shown them the true condition of their sinfulness on the inside. Or people stay in sin and it destroys their lives. The religious elite, the religious commoner and the non-religious. And it spreads to them all. The second reason this is dangerous is because, and it matters, is because it will be revealed. Jesus reveals this about the Pharisees and the lawyers in chapter 11. They're dirty dishes with clean outsides. They're graves that don't look like graves. He says people stumble over you as a grave, but they don't know they're stumbling over a grave. Right? They do this in the acts of tithing and such. Jesus reveals it about the crowds in verse 1, saying the hypocrisy has spread to the crowds as well. They're not seeking me because they want me or in repentance and faith. And their hypocrisy will be revealed in verses 2 through 3. It says it. Here's what it says. Nothing is covered up that will not be revealed or hidden that will be not be known. Therefore, whatever you have said in the dark shall be heard in the light, and whatever you have whispered in private rooms shall be proclaimed to the housetops. The dirty dishes will be revealed. The lack of the true repentance and the saving faith will be made known. It will not only be made known to themselves, but known to God, known to all the saints, evidence, and even sometimes vindication 
And Christian, even if you've believed, it will be made known because your sin will find you out. So even for the Christian, Galatians 6, 7, don't be deceived. God is not mocked for whatever one sows, this he will also reap. For the one who sows to his own flesh, he will also reap from the flesh corruption. But the one who sows to the spirit, from the spirit reap eternal life. So that's the danger here. That's the destruction. That's why it matters for everyone who overlooks the sin in their life is tricked to thinking it's no big deal because they've maintained the outer image or to the one who's never come to saving faith. So they think they must be good because maybe someone complimented them on their spirituality. But the inside is really unclean. So Now, I'm going to save, uh, I'm going to help us to see. There's one more really, there's one more consequence to this, but I'm going to save it for our last point, which is going to be all of question four. There's one more main consequence. So let's move on to question three. Where does it come from? Where does this come from? Why do people do it? Where does this, why does this happen? I think this is made clear. Okay. <coughs> I think this is really, really important. You're going to lock in. Stay with me, okay? Where does spiritual hypocrisy come from? In other words, why do people do it? Why do they pursue it? Looking good on the outside, being okay with the inside, remaining as it is, being unconcerned, unconcerned with the inside, being unaware of the inside because of being preoccupied with the outside. Why? Why does this happen? Well, if you look very closely at this text, it starts to become evident. Verse 4. Read verse 4, which is the next verse. And ask this question, why does he say in verse 4 and the following? Let's just read all of it up to um, verse 8. Why does he say that right after he says this? That seems like a sharp turn. Let's read it. I tell you, my friends, do not fear those who kill the body, and after that have nothing more that they can do. But I will warn you to whom you should fear. Fear him who, after he is killed, has authority to cast into hell. Yes, I tell you, fear him. Are not five sparrows sold for two pennies, and not one of them is forgotten before God? Why even the hair, hairs on your head are all numbered? Fear not, you are of more value than many sparrows. And I tell you, everyone who acknowledges me before men, the Son of Man, I also, uh, uh, the Son of Man also will acknowledge before the angels of God. Let's just read this one more, verse 9. But the one who denies me before men will be denied before the angels. Why does he say that? Well, as we read this, we keep reading in the section, verses 8 through 9, it becomes really clear that the reason for this spiritual hypocrisy is the fear of man. That's where it comes from. It's very simple. It comes from the fear of man. This is it. The only reason that one would be less concerned with the inside than they are with the outside, not pursuing truth on the inside, not recognizing the condition of their heart on the inside, not being more concerned with what's eternal on the inside, that it holds far less weight than what happens on the outside, is that one cares 
to a great degree what other people think of her. So the cause here is the fear of man. As long as I am recognized by others on the outside, I can remain unclean on the inside. This is why this happens, and this little thing, which is not a little thing, but the fear of man can send people, uh, they could be on a, on a, a straight path to hell because of just wanting to look good on the outside, look clean on the outside because they care about what others think. Fear of man. So this is why he's saying here in verse 4 and the following, don't care so much about what the people are thinking of you or whether they kill you because you're following me or because you recognize your true need for repentance or don't fear me. Don't deny me before others because you're scared of what's going to happen. Fear me. The reason why the Pharisees are looking clean on the inside, on the outside, not on the inside, is because they fear man. The reason why people are wanting Jesus in the same way is because they care about what others think. So the reason, the only logical reason that someone would only care to look clean on the outside and remain dirty on the inside, where does spiritual hypocrisy come from? It being comes from being mainly concerned of what others think about you, how others view you. That is your main concern. This is the reason we see this here. And that is the only logical reason people would be concerned and contented and satisfied with looking clean on the outside while being unconcerned with remaining blind to their true condition on the inside. Fear of man. That's where spiritual hypocrisy comes from. Being so concerned with what others think, what the church thinks, what the culture thinks, what Christians think, what social media thinks, what people at the gym think, what your groupies think, what your neighbors think, what your followers think, what the congregation thinks, what your employees think, that you are willing to and even eager to look clean on the outside, gain morality on the outside, look put together on the outside, fit in the crowd on the outside, pursue Jesus on the outside while neglecting the true condition on the inside. That's why pastors and spiritual leaders hide their sin and they give way to moral failure 50 years later. Fear of man. And that's why Christians hide their sin and are so contented not to repent of it because they've been tricked to say, as long as I'm looking good on the outside. Now let's see if this reasoning holds up before we get to our last question here. Let's see if our answer to this, where does it come from? Fear of man. Let's see if this holds up. I was reading my Bible Another time, not last night. I wasn't hit by a paintball that time, this time. But it was, I think it was on Thursday. And uh, this, this message is on my mind. I'm on the same Bible reading plan as you, right? Same thing. And uh, this message is on my mind. And, uh, and I had already made these points and, uh, that I'm preaching to you now. I'm about halfway done writing. When I read this in my time with God and I said, that's it, Lord. That's it. The portion's in Matthew chapter 6. So turn there in your Bibles quickly. Matthew 6. And I'll turn there. Verses 1 through um, 15. And I, I think the, the verses were less than that, but I just read a little bit more. Um, we'll read, oh, I think they were to 15. We'll read to 18. I want you to notice the correlation. Ready? Notice the correlation between spiritual hypocrisy, looking good on the outside, while having dirt dirty, evil, wrong intent on the inside, which is caused by the fear of man to be seen by others. Okay? Notice, notice it, the correlation here. Ready? Beware of practicing your righteousness before other people 
in order to be seen by them, for then you will have no reward from your Father who is in heaven. Thus you give to the needy, when you give to the needy, sound no trumpet before you as the, what's that word? Hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets. Here's the purpose, that they may be praised by others. Truly I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, so that your giving may be in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. And when you pray, you must not be like the what? Hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners, that they may be seen by others. Spiritual hypocrisy. Clean outside, dirty inside, because of the fear of man. Truly, I say to you, then they have received the reward. But when you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your father who is in secret, and your father who sees in secret will reward you. And when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think they will be heard by their many words. Do not be like them, for your father knows what you need before you ask. Pray then like this, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, forgive us our debts, as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive you your trespasses. Last section here. And when you fast, do not look gloomy like the, what? Hypocrites, for they uh, disfigure their faces that their fasting may be seen by others. Truly I say to you, you they have received their reward. But when you fast, anoint your head, wash your face that your fasting may be not seen by others, but by your Father who's in secret. And your Father who's in secret will reward you. Back to Luke. So, there it is. Spiritual hypocrisy comes from the fear of man. Now, the fear of man is a spiritual term describing, caring in the simple terms, what others think more than what God thinks. You fear man. You don't fear God. This is the only reason you'd be crazy enough to be content with what others think more than what God thinks. Man has become your God. Your identity has become your God. Your reputation has become your God. Your status has become your God. Others' perception has become your God. Your popularity has become your God. People's responses to you and recognition of you has become your God. And feeling good because others praise you, focus on you, listen to you, think highly of you, talk highly of you has become your God. It's short-sighted and delusional and it's full of pride for all of us. But the Bible says that you shall fear the Lord. Deuteronomy 6, it is the Lord your God you shall fear. Him you shall serve. By his name you shall swear. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom and the knowledge of the Holy One is insight. This is when you'll see the truth and the truth will set you free. Fear the Lord. Finally and briefly, number four. Where is it headed? Where is this headed? Where is it going? Where will it take you? Where will this take someone? Where will it lead you? Well, we already mentioned it will spread, it will be revealed, but I want to point out one last thing, which is kind of another consequence, but deserves its own standing. Verse 8 through 9, 
in our passage for two weeks from now. We already touched on it, but let's read it again. Verse 8 through 9, chapter 12. And I tell you, everyone who acknowledges me before the Son of Man will also, uh, I'm sorry, before men, the Son of Man will also also will acknowledge before the angels of God. But the one who denies me before man, men, will be denied before the angels of God. Where this will eventually lead you is always to a place where you will have to choose. At some point, whether you recognize that particular moment or not, you will have to choose. Listen, there will be a moment where you will have to choose between looking good on the outside, and many of these choices happen every day. We just choose the outside rather than the inside. We don't know it. But you will be choosing between looking good on the outside, salvaging your own reputation, your life, your acceptance from others, or acknowledging the truth of Christ. Your actual condition of your sinfulness, what is required of you, which is repentance, and to follow Christ. You will choose this. Your life will be full of these choices, and eventually this choice will become a permanent one. You will say, I will choose for the rest of my life, whether you recognize that moment or not, to go down this path of looking good on the outside. That will be my version of Christianity. If I, if I can fake it to the end, I'm going to be good. You will choose that, and you will find yourself 30 years later still on that path. Or say, that doesn't matter. <laughs> Christ matters. I'm going to choose him. And so if you just care about the outside, not realizing that you need your sins forgiven on the inside, not realizing that you can't and mustn't leave Jesus because he's your only hope for forgiveness, if you realize, if you care only about the outside, you will deny Jesus. That's where it's headed. You will deny Jesus. That's where this is headed. And you might even do it in the church. So, as Jesus is saying here, we must beware of the leaven of spiritual hypocrisy. Trying to look clean on the outside because of the dominating fear of man. We have to be cleansed on the inside by Christ. And then everything on the outside will be clean as well. Let's pray. Father, we come and we ask that you would take your word and do what only you can do in your people, in these people, for your glory. In Jesus' name. Thanks for listening to this resource from the Field Church in Mandeville, Louisiana. We pray that it helps you joyfully make Jesus Christ your treasure.